Welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Welcome back to Quaker Faith and Podcast. We are your hosts, Mackenzie and Micah, and today um, we are looking in the traditional Quaker Christianity at a section they call the Church Visible and Invisible. And in here, um, the the citation on this is Robert Barclay's Apology for True Christian Divinity. And it's talking about a thing that um, I find it's common to bring up when the question of how do we have um, hyphenated Quakers comes up, right? Um, we've got people who are pagan Quakers or Buddhist Quakers or etc. at least in the liberal branch, not so much in the others. Um, and Robert Barclay talks about the invisible church. And he says, this is the company of those whom God has called out of the world and the worldly spirit to walk in his light and life. It includes both those who are still in this inferior world and those who, having already laid down the earthly tabernacle, have passed into their heavenly mansions. He means dead people. Um, Although some may be outwardly unknown to and distant from those who profess Christ and Christianity in words and have the benefit of the scripture. So he's saying, not Christians. Yet they have become sanctified by their obedience and cleansed from the evil of their ways. There may be members of this Catholic, little c, meaning universal, church, not only among all the several sorts of Christians, but also among pagans, Turks, and Jews. They may be blind in their understanding of some things, and perhaps burdened with the superstitions and ceremonies of their sects, but they are upright in their hearts before the Lord, aiming and endeavoring to be delivered from iniquity and loving to follow righteousness. And so this is, uh, this is Barclay and the early Quaker's way of answering the question, what about my righteous Jewish or Muslim or atheist neighbor? How do I make sense of the fact that uh, from all from everything I can tell, this person is filled with the Holy Spirit, even though they say they don't believe in it in the same way that I do? Right, and I know that's that's a question that um, I mean. So if, <clears throat> you know, there's there's the sort of um, universalism or pluralism type of thing where um, it's like. It's, it's, it's fine, they cool. Um, and then you have things like Southern Baptists who are like, oh no, they're going to hell no matter how good they seem. Um, and, um, you know, sort of, I, I can see when you are a Southern Baptist, there being a comfort in saying, I know that I am going to heaven because I have, because I believe this specific thing. I'm good, like, like, like I'm good to go even though I still screw up. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if you are Southern Baptists or other sorts of evangelicals that have that very um, head-focused belief, um, or that have that very um, exclusive, yeah, exclusive belief, that you know, if you were a convert to that, then you're going, oh no, my mother is going to hell, right? Uh, right. And that's a very scary um, thought, right? And it, it, it makes it difficult to have genuine relationship with people who are outside of your of your religious uh, boundaries. Um, I mean, what what does it even mean to be, um, you know, good friends with a Jew when you think that they're definitely going to hell unless you can unless you can convince them to say the right words and join your community? And let's face it, if you're constantly like, "Hey, hey, convert to my religion, say the thing, come on, do it." They're not going to want to hang out with you. So, um, but the, the, the early Quakers uh, were so focused on 
the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and the ability of the Holy Spirit to speak uh, to people regardless of the circumstance, that uh, they came to the conclusion, uh, as Paul did, uh, the Apostle Paul, that uh, the the key thing in people's in people's salvation and relationship with God wasn't strictly um, a, 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 a belief or adherence to a particular set of doctrines, but instead a relationship with the living Jesus. Um, Paul says in the second chapter of his letter to the Romans uh, that uh, pagans, meaning uh, ancient ancient people who are not uh, who are not a part of the Christian community uh, or Jews, as a matter of fact. That, I found it. Uh, you, read you, it? you just want to read the, the passage? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, this is a passage from, from Romans 2. What are the verses um, here? I'm starting at verse 12. I'm not sure how far I'm going. Those who have sinned outside the pale of the law of Moses will perish outside the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged under it. Uh, none will be justified before God by hearing the law, but by doing it. When Gentiles who do not possess the law carry out its precepts by the light of nature, then, although they have no law, they are their own law. They show that what the law requires is inscribed on their hearts, and to this their conscience gives supporting witness, since their own thoughts argue the case, sometimes against them, sometimes even for them. So it will be on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of human hearts through Jesus, through Christ Jesus. Okay, so it was 12 through 16. Cool. Um, so, like, this is not a new Quaker idea. This actually goes back to the New Testament. It goes back to uh, Paul's teaching in Romans. That those who, so for example, um, when, uh, in fact, in many places today, um, many, many people today still, amazingly enough, don't have access to the Bible. Either they're illiterate or is not written, is not translated into their language. But for a variety of reasons, many people today, as amazing as it seems, given the pervasiveness of the Bible and Christianity... Especially those Gideon Bibles that are in every nightstand in every hotel in America. Right. Um, amazingly, there are still a lot of people that don't have access to the Bible. And there are many, many, many more who effectively don't have access to the Scriptures in the sense that they, that they for one reason or another, have been so blocked from it. For example, um, they may be Muslims uh, who live in a, in, in a country where it's very, very difficult and, 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 and the punishment might be death for converting to Christianity. Uh, they um, might, Bibles are illegal to import to China. Right. Um, they might be Jews who they have been brought up uh, with an understanding that uh, to convert to Christianity, to start following Jesus, is to betray their entire family and like dishonor their family members who died in the Holocaust. So there are all sorts of reasons that people uh, who really do have an active relationship with the Holy Spirit and are being and are being transformed and saved by Christ's light would find it would find a lot of roadblocks to uh, actually embracing that outwardly and I think this it's a complex situation um, so also, if you ever say that to somebody who is a non-christian it sounds super patronizing it does sound super patronizing and so it's a difficult conversation to have um, but yet the early Quakers weren't afraid to have that conversation which is the interesting part. Yes, well, they were often very rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, but, it, but in any case, this is sort of, um, I won't say distinctive in the sense of like only the Quakers had it, because obviously it's deeply rooted in the Bible and in the Christian tradition. But the Quakers really emphasized this in a way that most Christian groups in their time and in ours didn't, um, which is to say that uh, they, they did not say that all religions are the same and that all roads lead up the mountain. They did not say every religion uh, preaches the same thing anyway. Right. That was not the message, but also it was not the message that, well, is he a Muslim? Well, he's definitely going to hell. That was absolutely not the message either. The message was that Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, can redeem 
anyone, can speak to anyone, can work in the lives of anyone, regardless of their religion. And for the person who has yielded to the Holy Spirit, for the person who is in a relationship with Jesus through his Spirit, when they, when they encounter uh, the Scriptures, when they encounter the Church, they will recognize the Spirit working in the, in the Scripture and in the Church as well. There will be a recognition. So uh, if the Holy Spirit, is, if the Holy Spirit uh, you know, you look at someone like Gandhi, for example. You know, Gandhi's like a typical example of like, could Gandhi possibly be going to hell because he wasn't a Christian, so what's the deal here? Well, if you think about Gandhi, Gandhi drew immense uh, strength and resources and inspiration from the New Testament and from Jesus. He never, he never formally converted to Christianity, but uh, he clearly uh, found immense resonance in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, so, uh, he's there's a quote from him that says, "I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Christians are so unlike your Christ." Right, and so I think Gandhi is actually a really good example of, of sort of uh, the pagan who who had God's law written on his heart and who was a law unto himself. He never formally became a Christian, and for some Christians that would mean they have to conclude that, that Gandhi was not a friend of God and is not saved, whatever that means. But I think for those of us who have a more, uh, a more, uh, a more uh, fundamental understanding and look back to Romans, where Paul says uh, you know, uh, anyone uh, can, can be enlightened in their consciences and can come to know God in that way, even, without, even, even, even if there are blockages from them knowing God through the scriptures. Or, 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 or professing in a certain way. Um, and, and as we know, and, and as the early Quakers preached, that um, just because someone doesn't say the right things does not necessarily make them an, 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 out, an outsider of the family of God, and vice versa, that uh, many of those who profess the right words and do, uh, do apparently the right actions are in fact not in relationship with God. It sort of, it sort of turns, turns... And by right actions, in that case, we mean things like baptism. Mm-hmm. So it sort of turned everything on its head where what, what, what human religion wants to do is to set up a series of rules and procedures that if you follow them, you get guaranteed outcomes. You want to mechanize your relationship with God and make it predictable. But and that's not how relationships work. That's not how relationships work, and that's not how New Testament faith works. That's not how Quaker faith works. Uh, it is a, it, if, if, we go, if we go back to the early movements of the Christian church and Quakerism, um, it's always about... Uh, finding that living relationship and realizing that God is way more powerful than our human institutions and God can even act outside of them when God needs to. Um, now, <clears throat> looking into the book again, I know we did an episode some while ago, um, maybe episodes somewhere between five and ten. Sorry about that. Uh-huh. I do my bets. Um, <laughs> not that Quakers were supposed to gamble or anything. Um where the episode was um, that the scriptures are not essential for salvation. Mm-hmm. And that's, and we talked then about how, about the law written on the hearts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did not know this quote at the time. Um, and it's in here in the book. Um, it says from Barclay, uh, it says Barclay is clear that the universal possibility of reconciliation with God, quote, does not do away with the absolute necessity for believing the outward testimony where God has afforded the opportunity for knowing it. Mm-hmm. End quote. And, and I, I think that would be extremely not just, I mean, I think not just controversial um, for liberal Quakers, but just flat out rejected from mm-hmm. liberal Quakers. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and 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 I think uh, this this is the part where I think it's really important to have the caveat that there are, in my mind at least, there are there are real barriers that are presented for people who have um, received the scriptures in the sense of like they have a copy of the Bible or they've heard of Jesus and they know about what Jesus did or some, things like that or they have a Christian friend and they've talked about Christ with them. There are real barriers that that prevent. Uh, many people in such situations from from going further in that relationship or from going for going deeper with the scriptures or with the Christian tradition. And um, so it's not it's, it's not simply as clear cut as like if you read the Bible, you'll believe it. Um, there are other barriers to be overcome. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who have been spiritually abused mm-hmm. in past churches. Yeah. And there's like so many people have left churches because of the way religion was religion and the Bible were wielded as weapons um, to control, to manipulate. Um, I mean, <laughs> we have a friend who grew up in a cult. Right. So, right. And, and so when you've experienced that, then that is itself going to, to prevent um, in a lot of situations um, the possibility of, or, or the willingness to um, commit to a particular um, faith expression, faith community, um, or to anything that has more solid lines because solid lines have been used as a weapon against you. Right. I think another thing to consider, too, is um, there's a tendency, again, with human religion, there's a t- in, our, in our need for control, there's a tendency to look at things in terms of an on-off switch and, like, this person said these things and did these rituals and therefore they are okay. This other person did not say the things and did not do the rituals, therefore they are not okay. And we've just sort of got this binary mentality. But I think it's much more helpful to think in terms of continuums. And I think this helps not only in terms of understanding how, like, understanding how the life of faith works, but I think it also helps us with our humility and somewhat paradoxically in our ability to speak truth boldly. Uh, because, you know, we, you know, Mackenzie was saying earlier that, you know, it's a pretty difficult thing and maybe a presumptuous and rude thing to say some of the things we're saying on this podcast to someone who isn't a Christian in terms of like, oh, yeah, like, you know, to, to, to say to someone, oh, I'm, you know, I believe you have a relationship with God. I just think you don't you don't you don't have all the facts yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. That sounds incredibly presumptuous. But um, I think if we understand this journey as a continuum and as, 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 as ongoing growth or as a direction, uh, a direction that we're moving. I think it becomes easier to talk about these kind of things with humility when we understand that, you know, I think about my faith a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, how many, how many things I was just, you know, how arrogant I was, how wrong I was, uh, how short-sighted I was. And to just think about like how arrogant I must be now and how short-sighted I must be now and how little I must know now that later I will discover. Um, and so to keep it all in that perspective, like, if I say to someone, or if I even think about someone, well, they may not identify as a Christian, but I, you know, I can see the Spirit working in their life, and they just have a few things to figure out. If I'm in the right mindset, I can say that or think that, and that be true, without me thinking I'm better than this person, because I am also, I am also like there are so many things that I need to learn. I'm, and and they may, this person that I'm thinking these things about, they might, may have already learned some of the things that I still need to learn. So. It's sort of this uh, a, uh, asymmetrical 
asynchronous uh, continuum that we're all on. We're not all, we're not all in the same places on the continuum, and some of us have things that the others don't have, and vice versa. And like, so it's like it's like it's not clear that anyone's ahead. We're just traveling in like uh, on different routes in some way, but towards the same faith in Christ. Um, so I guess it helped. I think that just kind of turned slightly into the ro- multiple roads up the mountain. It's just, you're yet, saying, it's just that you're saying that Christ is up top of the mountain. So it did sort of start sounding like that. I guess what I, I guess what I mean is that um, the 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 road is the same. The road is the same. But for example. Um, I think I think of uh, I think of a, a Jewish friend of mine who you know I I believe that this person uh, went went you know on that day uh, on that day as the tradition says on that day I believe that this person you know is going to uh, Mackenzie doesn't know what on that day means um, on that day in, in scripture sure refers to the end of time or judgment day okay thank you um, but on that day right like when well, I was kind of guessing that but I was trying to like. When, and ask if I was guessing right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when, on that day, when things are made right, when all becomes clear, on that day, I really believe that this person is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, I think I think this person is going to know who they are in relationship with. Um, but that being said, and, and and I would I would like to think I already know that fact. But that being said, this person is much kinder than me. This person is much gentler than me and sweeter than me. This person cares about people a lot more than I do. And I have so much to learn from this person. And so, like, we're on the same path. We're on the same path. And we each have different things that we still need, if that makes sense. I have this friend, Michael, who's Jewish. And um, talking to him, I'm, I'm often like, well, you guys seem to <clears throat> generally have this figured out a lot better than we do. <laughs> um but uh, as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about there's a bit in the Bible, um, which I think is a thing Jesus says and not something from the epistles. But you're going to know better than I will because I've only read the New Testament once. Um, the, that no um, good tree can bear bad fruit and no bad tree can bear good fruit. Yeah. And so by, your fruits, by their fruits, you shall know them. Yeah, that's Jesus. Okay, cool. I remember right. Yay. I don't know how, I don't know where in yeah. the Gospels it is, but it's in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, I think, I think the only caveat I would put on that, on the, on the, on the good fruit, bad fruit, um, is that we're really good at deceiving ourselves. And so we don't always know what good fruit is. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't always know what good fruit is. And I mean, well, the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, patience. The Bible teaches us this, right? Right. <laughs> right. And so we don't always know what good fruits are. And in fact, like a, a big part of the reason that the prosperity gospel is so powerful is because these false prophets can go to groups of people and say, look, I have wealth. I, I drive my nice look, car. Look, fruit. Yeah, look, look, look at this fruit of wealth. This, like, this is a fruit of my faith. And people look and say, hey, I, I would like to not be scraping by too. I would like to have wealth. I would like for my family not to have to worry about like where rent is coming from, right? So like, a, if, if a fruit of this person's faith is that they don't have to worry about how to make rent. And in fact, not only that, they have a nice gold watch and are driving a nice car. And that seems pretty great to me. So it is easy to be deceived by false teachers who have fruit that we want, but it's not the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So that's where the tradition comes in. We, we, we learn what the fruit of the Spirit is and how to seek after it. Um, 
so we've basically been talking about the church invisible this whole time, and we should probably talk about the visible part. Okay. Um, so church invisible sounds more fun. <laughs> yes, you need uh, you get there using Wonder Woman's invisible airplane. Um. So it talks about the true church visible, and it says the church that is visible not only to God but to the suffering world is the local fellowship of those who have been brought to a belief in the true principles and doctrines of the Christian faith. So much more focus on intellectual ascent. That's true. Um, and it says to be a member of this kind of fellowship, not only is the inward work indispensably necessary, there we go, the not intellectual ascent part, mm-hmm. but also profession of belief in Jesus Christ and the holy truth delivered by his spirit in the scriptures. And mm-hmm. as we were looking at this beforehand, Micah's response was to point out that this means that the visible church is a thing that can be, um, well, that, that is more narrow. It's obviously more narrow, but something that you can draw clearer lines around mm-hmm. um, and and define better. I think the way I put it was, uh, it seems here that Barclay's conclusion is that we, while we cannot, and Jesus tells us not to judge, right? We cannot judge people's relationship with God. That's something we're explicitly as Christians told not to do. We can't judge people's relationship with God. But from what Barclay's saying here, it does seem that we can, and from what other parts of the Bible say, it seems that we can and must judge the boundaries of the fel- of the visible fellowship. Which would be like having um, requirements for membership in a meeting would be an example of that. Right. And um, there's a whole can of worms about how um, that is decided in meetings. I'm sure that uh, among program friends, it's probably more like how in other churches where you have where you are expected to um, assent to a creed. Well, okay, no. You have, you have to assent to a creed in other churches. I'm sure that there is some statement of belief that has some sort of judgment laid on it um, in the in the more programmed traditions. Would that be the correct assumption? I think in I think in I think in most Quaker in in most uh, in most Quaker churches uh, that are are Christ, that are consciously Christ centered. Um, there, there will be an expectation that members should be wanting to follow Jesus for sure, and I think in different congregations there might be, you know, more or less explicit requirements around that. But you know, it wouldn't make any sense, right? Like, you, you don't, you don't join the golf club when you have no intention of golfing. Like, why would you join? Why would you join the Christian fellowship with no intention of following Jesus? It just doesn't make any sense. Whereas with liberal friends, um, having gone through membership clearness like a year or something ago. Um, <clears throat> while we talked, you know, we talked about our faith journeys and things like that. And I talked about how I did not feel comfortable applying for membership until I felt comfortable calling myself a Christian, because to me, it seemed dishonest. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that that is not a requirement in, in um, my meeting or in many liberal meetings that you would, that you would call yourself a Christian or Christ-centered or Jesus follower or any of the variations that people have come up with to avoid saying the word Christian due to its negative connotations. Well, I'll tell you what happened for me. Um, when I first became a Quaker, I was not yet a Christian, although I did become one not too long after that. Um, but on my clearness committee, when I, when I, when I was applying for membership, I told them, uh, you know, just so you know, like you, sh- you should know as we're talking about membership for me that I'm not a Christian. And the response of my committee was, well, you should know that we are. Uh, so that was that was, and and the meeting I joined was sort of a was a liberal meeting, but sort of on the Christian on the on the more Christian side of liberal meetings. Um, and so it was, it was interesting that like they basically said like, 
in that in that particular liberal meeting, uh, they they didn't require that I be, that I identify as a Christian, but they required that I understood that the congregation was Christian, which was an interesting distinction. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that that we're all in agreement of what is going on here, uh-huh. and what the, what the focus is. Right. Which reminds me of uh, Wes Daniels having said that if everyone's in agreement about what the center is, then you don't need to worry about drawing lines around the edges and policing those. Um, people will naturally sort themselves into either being part of the group if they you know, like the focus and are fine with it and all that. And if they're not really into what's going on, then, you know, they'll find a group where they drive better. One last thing in here is it talks about, it says that it says, on the one hand, the description of the church is very expansive. Anyone, regardless of initial religious understanding, may be brought into the universal church, the church invisible. But on the other hand, this description of the church is very restrictive. To be brought into the church, one must be sanctified by actual obedience. Early friends did not underestimate how difficult it was to be part of the church by being sanctified by obedience. <clears throat> their writings record their deep struggles for obedience. And I think that's an important to to consider yeah I think ideally um, and obviously this doesn't always play out in practice in fact maybe it most of the time doesn't but ideally uh, the purpose of the of the visible fellowship uh, is to help those of us who are who who uh, are on this journey like I say like you know my Jewish friend um, they're much kinder and more compassionate uh, and, and a better person in many ways than I am and uh, the role of the Christian fellowship for me is to, to help me as a follower of Jesus, who acknowledges Jesus as my Lord, um, to become more like him, and therefore more like my Jewish friend in some ways. So that's interesting, right? Well, but, hey, Jesus was Jewish. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, to, uh, yeah, the, I think the role of the fellowship is, to, is, is accountability and support, uh, mutual support. Uh, for that journey of becoming more like Jesus, which you can do on your own. It, you, and you can climb Everest on your own, I suppose, but most people die doing it. <laughs> oh, that just went morbid. <laughs> <laughs> the, see, now when you said the doing it on your own, I thought of like the the Desert Fathers, like weren't these like early Christian, usually men, I mean, they're called yeah. fathers, who like just like wandered off into the desert and lived there all alone, like hermit style. Right. And they did get together. But they spent most of their time alone. Like, they would have the, like, get-togethers. So they had yearly meetings? I, I don't know. I don't know how frequent they were. I'm teasing. Okay, fine. The joke fell flat. <laughs> Desert yearly meeting? <laughs> yes, there you go. Y'all, this was episode 30 of this podcast, and we have had over 20,000 downloads since we started this a little over a year ago. And that is so cool. So I just wanted to like take a minute to recognize that because, you know, celebrate. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, as Quaker Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, or Patreon, and on iTunes.